Birdnote presents. April is National Poetry Month in the U.S., and we're celebrating by sharing poems about our feathered friends written by contemporary poets. Today, we're talking with Wendy S. Walters, a nonfiction writer and poet. In the early 2000s, when she told her writer friends that she was moving to Los Angeles, some of them were not exactly supportive. I had been warned coming from the East Coast that there was no culture there and there was no literary lifestyle. There was no core to Los Angeles. Being originally from Detroit, and I had been born in Flint, Michigan, a city that was disparaged publicly had a lot of appeal for me. And as she explored the city, she found a beautiful landscape, history, mythologies, and... There were all these different kinds of birds that I had never seen before. And some of those birds were just spectacular to look at. You know, it was just completely novel to see parakeets for the first time. While she lived there, she wrote a chapbook, or short collection of poems, about the city called The Birds of Los Angeles. A number of themes are woven through the book, including the Iraq War, trying to make sense of images, how we treat the things and people we love, and these birds that caught her attention. I would go to the shore often to watch the surfers in the morning, and that's where I first saw a brown pelican. I just thought they were such a lovely color, just extremely beautiful. There's a poem in the Birds of Los Angeles about brown pelicans being shot, and that was actually happening at the time. Somebody was doing target practice on the brown pelicans shortly after me realizing how spectacular they were to look at. And that was very disturbing to me. Prophet is slow bird. Paper reads brown pelican shot along the coast of Malibu. No one knows if it is a ritual sacrifice, but birds are not harmless if one loves them and as well deserve their fate. Dunlins and Godwits boast of having seen the killer and whisper misadvice about the assassinations. Birds were shot for being brown. I smile at the other black girls in the liquor store, a band of lovelies, but they do not know I want most to be part of the brood, even though my look is imprecise. People come around asking questions, check my hands for gunpowder, threaten witnesses, misread my frown as proof. I watch those girls fly like a skein of geese while cops make me promise not to leave town. I worry about my alibi, the vulnerability of peace. One of the themes that's uh, kind of throughout the book is about this great tension in the United States if something is beloved in this country, it's almost as if people go out of their way to try to injure it. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I understand what that impulse is. In another poem, Walters examines a part of Tinseltown and how what we see on the screen may not mirror reality. 
I was thinking about this idea of the Hollywood romance and the ways in which people think that they're going to be walking into a movie about their life. And, you know, relationships are often much harder than that. Hollywood Finches. This story was buried behind a murder on the third page. A sudden husband is a tree that dances only for she, who reaches across the table and touches his new wife. How she flinches, then forgets to close the birdcage. A house finch expects her neglect and is ready to flee. A house finch reflects her regret and runs for his life. He heads for the sea, but stops first to steal a piano. She thinks this proves that trees have no place in me and sets off after the mighty finch to escape the strife of matrimony. A Nickelodeon is a blurred stage, but the husband studies newsreels for his dynamo, proof she existed. Poof, cut to a piano that sits on the shore, alight with corpulent flocks of soprano. They sing of unlucky romance, how to live without it. Sometimes opposites attract, and sometimes opposites are not a good match at all. And so if you have a tree and a bird, you have two very different range of motions and two very different natures that in some ways can work really well together, but maybe not eternally. Towards the end of the chapbook, Walters has a poem that swirls around all of the themes and images from the book. From war to birds to pianos to conceptions of freedom with a frenetic energy. She wrote it at the height of the Iraq War when she felt it was impossible not to engage with its violence. There was just such a bombardment of images of the war on TV and part of what I was struggling with was like, what am I actually looking at? Either I stay home and watch a war on TV, or a flock of sopranos serenades me to the sharp edge of America, cuts out my eye. Awake a monster is me. Still, I can see a sky black with pianos parachuting to shore, playing themes of liberation, variations on my pledge of allegiance to the radio, It shouts, America won't stand for violins against its kin. Awake, a monster is me. I take a good look at myself and the radio says, you do not own America, but I want to. And I am thinking, America won't stand for violins against its kin without joining in. So I aim at the sky, my only eye to tell me what is fear or dear. I shoot at words sparrows, eagles, and jays, pelicans, egrets, and gulls, gnat catchers. I shoot down birds in defense of my right to say this song is not about love, but is love itself, all the little deaths. In this poem, Walters grapples with what to do with this blitz of information, what her role is, and what power she has to change things. The eye being cut out renders me as the monster 
right? You know, as the Cyclops in that story, I was very much opposed to the war in Iraq. But, you know, that wasn't, maybe that really wasn't enough. The challenge, even in this moment, is trying to figure out what one can actually do with individual action. So in that small poem, I think I was just trying to wrestle with the challenge of recognizing one's own complicity in the bigger violent project. And the birds, the sparrows, egrets, gnat catchers, they represent this distinct and perhaps misguided idea of freedom. Something I'm still wrestling with in my work is, you know, I do this terrible thing. I shoot down these birds in defense of my right to to shoot down these birds. And there's this really kind of strange little loop that we get into. And there's very little concern about whether that's immoral or not, or unethical. You know, it, it just becomes ensconced in a conversation about individuality and the rights of individuals to do what they want to do. You can hear more bird-centric work by contemporary poets on our website, birdnote.org. I'm Mark Bramhill. <laughs>